Welcome to the second of our Wide Hockey interview series, and it is another writer from The Athletic. This time, Don Lucision. There's a lot of good stuff in this podcast today. We talk about predictive models. We talk about the Panthers. We talk about a lot of different teams. Pinball around a lot of different great topics. Dom's a great writer. He's written a lot of interesting stuff recently about his models, of course, Tave's schedule, and so much more. Enjoy the second Y Hockey interview show. We will be back with normal service very soon. Uh, go Panthers and Flyers and good hockey. interview show. This is not going to be Matt interviews everybody from The Athletic, although the first two of these might indicate that that might be the case. It might not be in the future, but it is at least now. Don Lucision, The Athletic, is joining us for the second one of these shows. Hello, Don. How are you? Good. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, I want to say firstly, obviously, Don is one of my favorite writers at The Athletic. Love his work. Love a lot of the work that we get from there. But I want to say first, Don, you and I share a common affliction. Incredibly hard to pronounce last names that begin with L. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know how it feels. How often do you get your last name butchered? Um, pretty much anytime anyone tries to pronounce it for the first time, they get it wrong. But it's understandable, so I don't, I don't take it too hard. <laughs> I, I sympathize. Although I did get it right. Although I've learned over many years of figuring this out, how you figured mm-hmm. it. What what. What what is the nationality of your of your last name? Uh, it's Polish. That's what I was going to guess, so I feel good about myself. For whatever that means. <laughs> not not much, but I can sympathize with you and I understand what it's like to have a last name that everyone butchers. So that's why I have yeah. a stage name for broadcasting purposes. Uh getting away from that, there's a lot that I want to get to with you. We'll get to the Panthers in a bit. I want to start with something you actually posted today, which is really interesting which is on your projections, which we read all the time, and the error in that and how sometimes predictions are wrong, even though you put all sorts of work into it, you fine-tune your models. I would never be able to understand the math that goes in behind it. That's why I went to J school. So you wrote today about how we're still early in the season and how your model gets better throughout the year. What sparked you to write that? Is there something from this season particularly that kind of pushed you into writing something like that, or is it something general you've been thinking about? Um, I think I was just looking at uh, my all my stuff, and I was wondering myself the question of, like, how off is it during different points of the year, and it's just something I wanted to measure. And then someone in the comments the week I thought of it happened to ask the same thing, like, what did this look like? on november last year and i'm like well i'm doing a story so sit tight that's interesting you actually read the comments and found something good yeah it wasn't a it wasn't the nicest comment either but it was still uh it was still worthwhile i guess if you cut through the last comment or last sentence in the comment which was if you don't i'll know why just sort of like threatening Again, we think of the athletic as the great as the place with better comments, and that is true. But I mean, I 
I, I I had that happen to me before when I read the comments about podcasts I did. I'm like, did somebody actually say something nice in the comments about work I did? That makes no sense. Um, it wasn't mm-hmm. a Y hockey. It was on another show. So you found that you were off, I mean, not substantially, but fairly off in October and early November. I don't think that's a surprise because we don't really know a lot early in the season. We know a few things, but not a ton of things. Uh, was there anything surprising in what you found? Uh, no, not really, to be honest. I figured it would go down dra- a bit like as it went through the season. I guess the only surprising thing was that it sort of stays steady for the first two or so months. Um, I don't know if that's just what happened last year because a lot of crazy things happened in the second half with all these different streaks, but it wasn't too surprising i figured that it would go down during the season i figured it would perform better than just looking at a team's point pace pace so yeah nothing out of the ordinary well yes because if you look at the panthers point pace in october they'd be historically bad every single year and they're never that historically (laughs) bad uh it's funny because i i we talked about it last week on our show that the panthers had their best october point total in 23 years which is hilarious (laughs) I mean, that says a lot about the Panthers more than it says anything else. But also, Mm -hmm. we're so burnt out by hearing, hey, we're going to not be bad in October, and then you're bad in October, and then this year they weren't. Uh, We'll get to the Panthers in a second. I also want to get to another piece you wrote that got a lot of play, which was the Taves schedule. And you worked with Mark Lazarus to come up with a mock of that schedule. I found that really interesting because when you think of the schedule, you think of certain things, you think of – well, in the Blackhawks case, they used to have a road trip for the circus every year. Then people realized the circus was a terrible idea, and it went away. And I also think for the Panthers, I think of certain teams play in South Florida at certain times every year, the Canadians after Christmas, things like this, mm-hmm. and how weird the schedule can be. And also the Panthers saying we don't want home games in October. So about this schedule, was there anything as you go through that and you created a mock-up of it that you're like, you know – Nobody's thought of it this way, but it actually could work because when I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? It would cut down on travel, and in this league where you have teams above the 50th parallel and one below the 25th parallel, you have more travel than you do in any other of the North American leagues. Like, would, Do you think now, after exploring it, something like that could work more? I think so. I think like once Mark brought the idea to my attention, I... I felt it could work. I felt it could reduce travel, which is important for players' bodies and making sure they're at their peak performance. And it does make sense. It's just the challenge of making sure it fits in with NBA schedules, with concerts, all of that. And it's it's definitely not easy making a schedule as someone who actually made one. And I, I sympathize with the schedule makers for how weird it can be sometimes. Just, it just ends up how it works. But... I feel I still feel like there can be better ways based on the criteria of how they actually make it in the first place. And and in case some of people that like what are those criteria? Because I don't think people understand really how the schedule gets made in many ways. It just sort of happens and you go like, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah. Um basically, it's kind of weird especially because there are 31 teams. That's just an odd number, but I think it's you play a home-and-home home against a team in the other conference. So one game, um, let's say Toronto versus Nashville, one will be in Nashville, one will be in Toronto. Um, inside the conference against the other division, I'm pretty sure you play three games, yep. possibly four. And then um, against your own division, it's four and sometimes five. 
Yeah, that that would be again because the Central has one last team. Although that would even out when Seattle comes in. So, yeah. But then it's also like as you said, arena availabilities. You've got concerts that are scheduled a million years in advance. Again, remember when there used to be back-to-back playoff games because arena stuff was screwed <laughs> up? I remember that in the Panthers Islanders series. It was hilarious. And uh, well, again, that's just the playoffs. But it, it is so funny because like it would take a lot of trouble away. Like if you were a team say, you know, the Bruins, and you get to play all of your home games, all of your road games against the Panthers and Lightning in one fell swoop. And if you're Florida, you could do a nine-game road trip of games in the New York metropolitan area. It would save you a lot of travel other than going to there two times a year. And, you know, again, we talk about teams in the West, but if you're, in this case, the Panthers, I mean, you still have to travel a lot, I'm assuming, and also because they don't really have money, they would like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, there's a lot of benefits for the league. It's just a matter of, I guess, seeing that through. I know from what Marcus said, a lot of the backlash was like from the actual like league executives about whether fans would be interested in having teams come in three days in a row like they do in baseball. And there are some roadblocks, especially because of the schedule I created had a lot of had the cross conference games happen only once instead of twice. So some years you won't get to see every team and it would obviously suck for, I guess, teams in the East who might want to see McDavid. But uh, I think the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that when I looked at, cause you like to see those, you'd see them. That used to be how it worked where you'd see one team in the, in the West from the East, you'd see them one time you'd see them at home. Another time you see it on the road. And that would save travel because it would mean some East teams don't have to do a Western Canadian road trip. And I'm sure that they would like that. Well, now you mm-hmm. can do it. So it's always an interesting story. Uh, you also wrote something on this NHL's culture series on the lack of diversity in front offices. Just a quick thing on that. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised the Panthers weren't last. You know I dig on the Panthers a lot for being somebody who covers them and follows them. Uh, that wasn't a surprise. But was there anything about that story that you were more surprised when you dug into all of the, uh, the numbers? Um, it wasn't that surprising. Like we all know it's bad, but to the degree that it was bad, I guess that was a bit of a, a shock because I didn't expect it to be 96% male. Um, I do like, we do see teams sort of like doing better, um, as the years go by, but it's still, it's just such a slow progress. Um, when I was looking through it, did it was a bit surprising that a majority of the women were were still not in decision making roles. It was all there were a lot there were more women than I guess I expected. But they were all I guess executive assistants working in hockey administration. Nothing against those roles, but it's not it doesn't yield the same power as in a coaching position or on in management. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I yeah, because you could see them in like in the case of PR, you see them with a lot of teams. There are more journalists covering hockey that are, that are women than ever before, and that's good. But obviously there needs to be more. But this is hockey, so it will be very slow and very arduous, and idiots will, you know, do what idiots do. So those are all yeah. great stories. Let's talk about the season. We'll get to the Panthers in a second. Uh, as anything – I know I'm asking you the surprise question all the time, but that's usually what the NHL is because there's always weird stuff that happens, and especially early in the year there's weird stuff. For me, there hasn't been a ton surprising – but I guess, like, it, it feels relatively normal compared to other seasons. I mean, there's a couple teams that we expect to be good and are bad, and some of the teams we expect to be bad that are good, that's parody. 
But for me overall, it doesn't seem like the season's as weird as recent NHL seasons. Does that, does that make sense? You think so? I, I would have to disagree just from the fact that I think many people had the Lightning and Leafs near the top of the league, and they're both very middling so far. Um, there was a lot of hype around Vancouver, but I still don't think they were ready, and they're, they look one of like, the best teams in the league right now, and I didn't see that coming. Buffalo, I mean, they well, had we a hot start year, last though. year. Maybe so. it is that Yeah, so we'll see if that one lasts, and uh, same same with Edmonton, although they're they're more confident than I expected as well. I don't think maybe it's just not that it's weird. It's just like I I, th- I expect teams to do that. And if you're a team like the Lightning or the Leafs, when you kind of know that it's playoffs or bust, especially in the case of Tampa, I wasn't surprised that there's going to be some growing pains in the regular season. Maybe I wasn't expecting the Lightning to play as poorly as they've looked sometimes. I've I haven't watched a ton of them. I've only and with the Leafs, I see what happens on Twitter when the Leafs play, which is you know always not the best lens into how they're actually playing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's not not necessarily. It's like it's not weird. It's just I, I come to expect now that things like that are going to happen, and we're always going to have a little bit of that. And maybe now I've couched that in, or in the case of the Panthers, I'm more optimistic because they're not bad apparently. So let's not <laughs> delay it. Let's not delay on that. Uh, I loved your preview on the Panthers, particularly the Aaron Ekblad section, which is was going into how how hard it is to define what his season was like last year. Some numbers would show you he was great. It was not. I loved that that preview. Um, and for them this season, I thought that they would be good. I wouldn't say that I thought they'd be great, but again, when you have your best October in 23 years, I feel more confident saying they're not bad. The goaltending's not been good, but if you're just isolating them. Uh, what have you thought of their start to the season? I thought it's been decent. I think they'd look a lot better if Bobrovsky played like his salary suggests he should. I think they're they're controlling games a bit better than they were last year, and they still have their top guys firing. It's just it's going to be a tough division, and that's what makes it difficult. And they need everyone working as well as they can all at once, and. I think Ekblad has been really good to start the year, and that's that's nice to see because I, over the last few years, I've been a bit skeptical about um, his ability, despite his pedigree. It's interesting for me because I thought a lot of what happened with Aaron Ekblad in the last couple of years was just really bad coaching, and we've been harping mm-hmm. on that here. The, the Bob Boogner system was really terrible. I don't think people really appreciated how bad it was and how bad it made defensemen look, particularly Mike Matheson. And there were, I mean, you could look on Twitter any day a Panthers game was playing and you'd see gifts of a Mike Matheson error. He's been hurt recently, but it's just not been as, as bad. And, and he's been really good. I think that a lot of it was just, he was given, maybe, I don't want to say he was given too much too soon. I think he was asked to do too much and to cover up for mistakes that were not his fault. Uh, he's been really good. Uh, the other things about the Panthers, as you said, for the goaltending, Bobrovsky's been bad. I don't think some Panthers fans have really wanted to accept that, but he's been bad. He's made big saves, but I hope that it turns around because normally for him it does around this time of year, and it is a new team, and there is pressure, of course, with the contract. Do you think it could turn around? Because I do. I mean, the Detroit game's an outlier because the Red Wings were, are terrible, but do you think it could turn around? Because I think it will. As long as he's, like, not this bad, I think the Panthers will be fine, but – but, I mean, I, I was justifying the contract in the way that they needed to do something about the goaltending, and this is probably the easiest and cleanest way to solve it in the short term. Do you think that it could turn around? I think it can, but 
you know, there are, there are games where I'm like, oh, boy, we're going to go through this again. Yeah, I can imagine, especially with the contract he has signed. But I do have confidence in Bobrovsky based on his history. It's a bit sketchy because there's not much confidence in any goalie outside of John Gibson. But there's also his age as well. It's just There are some red flags, but he's been one of the best goalies of the past decade. And I think he will find his groove. Uh, last year in Columbus, the first few months, it was sort of similar to what Florida is experiencing here, where the team was doing really well, but they're getting undermined a bit by Bobrovsky. But down the stretch, he w- turned it on a bit and was one of the better goalies, and in the playoffs too. So that was that was one thing that has been, I guess, said about him is that he's not a playoff caliber goalie, and he sort of silenced those critics last year. And I think that was nice to see. So if the Panthers do make, I think will have someone strong as long as he's not playing this poorly. I don't think necessarily it's even this poorly as much as it is. It is a new team. It's a new system. It's his first new team in a while. At least some of that yeah. comes in. At least some of that comes into play. But it is so funny how the Panthers have been better structurally. They're better in controlling games. They're better in expected goals than they ever were under Bugner. And the goaltending still just as bad. But this year, they've actually outscored that in many games, which is, which is fascinating to me. Um... I want to make my statement. We've made the statement clear on this podcast. Not just that Barkov was obviously underrated, but he's not underrated anymore. You, you can't say that because people, I think, know about him. <laughs> His line mate, however, is Jonathan Huberto yeah. is criminally underrated. Uh, I He just keeps getting better every year, and he's so underappreciated, even, I think, by Panthers fans. Like his start to the season is ridiculously good. If it wasn't the Panthers, I think we'd be talking about him as one of the best playmakers in the league. How good has this season really been? Uh, it's been really good. I, he always flies on the radar. I remember last year, I'm like, I'm sorry, Jonathan Huberdeau had how many points? I think it was one of the 92. quietest 90-point seasons in, in a long time. I guess everyone was sort of shooting up the point-scoring rank because goals have gone up, and it just Huberdeau sort of flew under the radar with his 90-point season. He looks like, again, he's on a similar pace this year, and He's been really good in that regard. Uh, all his points are primary, which is great to see. It means he's really the one driving the bus there. And uh, honestly, I, I I don't know what else to say about his game other than it's nice to see that he's really carrying what he showed last year. And maybe if he keeps that up, he will get recognized the same way as Barkov is now around the league. He hasn't made an all-star game appearance yet, which is insane. I mean, some of that is, again, Panthers, but how he has not made an all-star game is, is ridiculous. Also, he's going to set the Panthers' all-time franchise record for points by the end of the season, which is another indictment of the Panthers uh, overall. <laughs> if you look at uh, the way that, you know, the fact that they play in such a tough division, Boston's a juggernaut, and it's going to be so interesting to watch how they play over the year. Buffalo's had a good start, but... When I saw the Panthers play the Sabres, I wasn't hugely impressed with them. I thought Florida was a better team. Uh, the Lightning have looked bleh. The Leafs have looked bleh, but I don't think that's going to last long. And I think Montreal is a decent team. So it, we thought the top of the Atlantic was going to be hard. Is it going to be tougher because Buffalo's banked all these points early on? Or is, this, or is it going to end up being the five we thought in basically now fighting for second through fifth? I, I'm not sold on Buffalo. I really want to see them perform this way for a little longer um so i still for now think it's the five but 
they they have the high end talent to make things interesting. So we'll see what happens. But for now, I would say it's still between Florida and Montreal for who's gonna take the the wild card spots uh, after the the big three in the Atlantic. I, I think they could. I think right now, if you, you're just planning it out, they both probably make it. I was struggling with that before the season whether the Canadians would make it. I mean, you'd say that right now Montreal's got better goaltending, but the Panthers might have just better forward depth. It's a, it's an interesting debate between those two. And of course, because of the way the schedule works, they don't play until December, so it'll be interesting to determine. Uh, the Islanders are a team that fools you. And again, I thought the Panthers were better than the Islanders when they played them, and they played them this weekend, so it's prevalent to talk about them. We now know that, again, having a 10-game winning streak in the league doesn't guarantee you anything the last couple of seasons. Uh, they're doing a lot of things that they did last year, and everyone's like, there's no way they're going to do that again. And they're doing that again. Is yeah. it just Barry Trotz and Mitch Corner Wizards, or is there something more going on there? Um, it is a bit of wizardry, because I feel like we all thought, okay, let's see what the Islanders can do when they don't get 930 goaltending, and they are getting 930 goaltending again. So it's hard to judge but what is good about the Islanders right now is they are controlling play a lot better than they were last year at least during this streak I've seen a lot of games where they get 55 60 percent of the expected goal share so that's an encouraging sign for them that this can be for real and it's always nice to have points banked as well so I think they are on the inside of the playoff race right now and I'd probably have them over the Habs but it's still early and it's still tight and they're not going to keep winning at this pace forever. So we'll see what happens when they, when some adversity gets thrown their way. Is it, is it hard as people who we've been brought up on those, that Leafs team from 2013, the abs team from the year after that went on PDO benders and were much better than they actually were. And that kind of was the tipping point for when we all got into this. And uh, now there's a team every year where that happens, but you know, you look at it and you're just like, it's still happening with some of the same teams over and over again. How do we analyze that? Is there a way that we can analyze that other than saying, well, hockey's weird and sometimes weird things happen? Uh, I think as long as you don't ignore actual goals, I think you'll be fine. Like, there's a lot of people who would un would throw away whatever the Capitals have been doing over the last three years because their expected goal share has been one of the lesser marks in the league but they have finishing talent they have goaltending talent and if a team is doing it sustainably there's more reason to trust that they are a good finishing team and a good goaltending team and they can be they can have a better pdo like not every team is going to regress to 100 some teams baseline is 101 some teams baseline is 99 and they'll also have that finishing skill in the power play and I think there's a little sometimes a bit too much focus on how much uh, team controls play at five on five, and it sort of ignores the other facets of the game and whether a team can do better despite only getting 50 or 51 percent of the expected goal share. And I think the issue also is that public data is probably missing a few parts of the equation when it comes to pre-shot movement, whether a goalie was screened, other contextual factors on shots. And these are all things that I would guess teams like Washington do very well on offense. And that sort of makes it hard to judge them based on just current five on five expected goals numbers. Yeah, I want to get to that because we're still 
hopefully going to see player tracking at some point in the indeterminate future when the NHL hires a company that knows what it's doing, because, you know, NHL. And there's all these talks about the expected goals models, these predictive models. We see a lot of them. And it is still very much an inexact science because we don't have the data that you see, obviously, in baseball and even in basketball to a lesser extent. And does that make it harder for you? Does it make it you have to say this is still pretty incomplete and it's just the best data we have. And that's why there's still some some room to grow in many ways, because we just don't have the most exact science yet. Yeah, definitely. There, there's a lot of room to grow for models. And I think the biggest issue is if, is if certain models only look at a team's ability to control shot share, I think there'll be a lot of more things missing there if that's all you're looking at. And the other issue is if you're only looking at this year, because for example, let's say Barkov started the season with three points in 10 games. Would we think Barkov is a terrible player now, or are we going to remember all the reasons we thought Barkov was one of the best players in the league and sort of apply that to his start? And that's why I think my model is so successful is that it uses priors to inform how good a team is by not falling into early traps from games where a team might go on a hot streak because it's not their norm and they have to establish that they can do this consistently Mm -hmm. and in the case of Barkov that means telling Panthers fans he wasn't scoring goals but he's fine guys stop worrying which happens a lot with with Panthers fans and it was very annoying because everybody should know better but then apparently they don't Uh, in terms of I love your column 16 stats which is so interesting because there's always things that I don't pay attention to or that it's hard to pay attention, even if you're watching the entire league. And I try to focus, at least for this show, mostly on Florida. Uh, when you, is there a stat this year that you came upon that you went, oh, wow, uh, that I wasn't expecting that? Um, I think the first one, I was sort of shocked by how well Tyler Myers was doing. It's, yeah, uh, it's that'll, obviously that'll be an interesting one because we spent the entire offseason saying, well, he's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he has fit in pretty well with uh, with the uh, Vancouver Canucks to start. His XG numbers are solid. He's not getting outscored. He's playing reasonably well, other than some moments where he allows a 3-on-0 during overtime. But <laughs> Why didn't that happen I against mean, the Panthers? It's so annoying. Yeah. I mean, other than that, like, he's been really solid playing tough minutes, and that, that's just not something that I expected, and we'll see if he can keep that up. Is there, what happens when, you, when we have the narrative about a certain player, in the case of Tyler Myers as an example, or any other player that we assume is bad, and then he does something like this, and we ha- we're all willing to eat crow, I think, in a certain way, <laughs> But mm-hmm. it doesn't happen often anymore because the stats have become good enough to where we're generally able to predict pretty well what's going on. But when something like Tyler Myers happens or something like, I can't think of another bad player that turned out to be good. Who's a good example of that? I'm trying to think. Um, off the top of my head, maybe Tom Wilson. Because okay, I know a lot of people were saying he's at the fourth liner for a while and now he's looking like a legitimate top six option. It, it's it, so when that happens, like how do we come as as a as a hockey fan of not just those who are very into what we're into, but in general, 
how do we it's it is again is it hockey's random or is it like sometimes we're not doing a good enough job explaining how and why things happen and how you can go from Tyler Myers being hysterically terrible to oh he's actually good and the Canucks are actually good it's it's tough and every time you get new information you should update your priors and if you have to be willing to accept new information. So if you see Tyler Myers performing well, it shouldn't throw away every poor game he had before that, but should say maybe he's not as bad as we thought. And you slowly update until he builds a resume of showing he can maintain this new pace. And the thing about current stats is that it's hard to really suss out who's affecting who. And you obviously do your best with RAPM, like similar regression techniques, but it still might be missing parts of the equation. And like, these are humans, right? And they, they fit into systems differently and with different teams. And sometimes you go to a new team and they just bomb like Michael Furland in Vancouver, or they go to a new team and they thrive better than some would reasonably expect like Myers in Vancouver. So as long as you're willing to adapt and accept that you might be wrong, I think you just need to accept new information and be patient with it and just allow yourself to be wrong. Uh, yeah, or in the case of the Panthers, that would be Noel Achari, who I was like, ah, fine, okay. <laughs> and now, oh, wow, he's, he's what is he doing? Hilarious. It's, hilar- it's hilarious how this works. If we had an ideal world, and you're trying to update your models, and there's pieces of information you want you don't have. What is the most ideal scenario for you? If there's something that you don't have right now that you could that you could get your hands on, what would that be? I think just a like ideally like an XG model that puts more contextual factors into different shots. So how much space the player had where the pass came from proceeding, how quickly the pass came, speed of the shot, is the goalie screened, who's defending the player, all those granular things that might come with player tracking that might inform expected goals model a little better than shot location alone. Yeah, because when you look at expected goals models, and I'm starting to use them more, I was more focused on, on shot shares for a while, and now the expected goals models are better, I'm used to soccer expected goals, which are much easier to suss out. And even then, you talk to some of the people who are good at that, it's incredibly difficult to figure out certain factors. And soccer is a much more controlled game with a bigger pitch and, you know, more players. But different elements than, than hockey expected goals. The, like When you look at expected goals, it's still imperfect, but they've certainly improved. So that's an improvement. And what when, you at, when you're at informing people who might not be you know as analytically inclined as you or some other people are and they're looking at expected goals and they're trying to figure out what expected goals you know mean varies from model to model because you could go to three different sites and find three different things what is it about the the baseline of expected goals that you want people to understand that this is how we're putting these numbers into context and this is how we're trying to calculate this because as you said they're still kind of imperfect and there are more of differences, I think, between them than might meet the eye. Yeah, I, I think for someone new, it's just as easy as explaining that it measures how often a similar shot goes in. 
And intuitively, when you're watching hockey, hockey, you know what a scoring chance is. You know if you're outchancing the other team, whether you're playing a good game or not in that realm. And it's just something to quantify that based on the likelihood of those shots going in, based on previous shots taken with similar under similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. And do you think that as we go along we're going to get a better understanding of a lot of these things. So what, like we went from shot share to expected goals. So what's next? Is there another level or is it just perfecting what we have now and, and player tracking? Is there another step up above expected goals for you? I think it's just a matter of perfecting the concept. Cause I think the concept is sound in itself. It's just the idea of making it better and more accurate. Yeah, I, I can see that because there's so much of that that goes on. Uh, and my friend Tommy, who normally would be here, but this is a weird day when it comes to it, he's, he wants to ask about – he like he wanted to talk about game score and, and some of these defensive metrics. And, he's, and he likes this stuff, but he always puts it into context. He wants the same thing, essentially, context in certain things. So in terms of, like, is there a – do we have a great idea of how defense – can be quantified in, in these certain situations, and now we're starting to see game scores pop up. Where do you think about those two particular things? Um, defense, is, it's always tricky because what you're measuring is the absence of something, and intuitively, like, when you're watching and you, you're you thinking about a defensive defenseman, if you don't notice them at all, usually that means they're playing a good game. But that sort of gets misconstrued to, oh, wow, this guy's so good at defending. It's because you you're always watching him defend. That's not great. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to measure that. It's hard to see that. And that because those two things are true, it's hard to really have agreement. And that's where there's a big barrier between what we see and what happens and what's being measured as well. So it is a bit tricky. And I guess in terms of game score – I know this summer I tried harder to make defensive metrics a bit more important. So I wanted to look at expected goals against, but also actual goals against. Cause a lot of the time you, we would all think that it's just random because defensemen, it's been long studied that they can't really control save percentage. But when I looked at how the two correlate to predicting future goals against like goals against was still, somewhat useful so I left it in despite what some other analysts would say to just cut it out but it's still I think valuable information for to know a defenseman is consistently getting scored on or not um yeah that would be important I when you watch the uh, Keith Yandel Josh Brown pairing actually don't do yeah. that if you're not a Panthers fan don't do that that's a terrible idea I wouldn't suggest that if uh, you had free time in your hands watch the Panthers for Barkoff and you would then turn it off when Yandel and Brown are on the ice piece of advice to all of you if you're new if you're new to uh, the Panthers and you're just coming in now that's what I would recommend you do uh as we wrap this up what are things you're looking for as we head into November as things start to become more set in stone and more predictive what are you looking for and are there things that in the league you want to see in terms of trends or their team or their players what to you are you most looking at as we head through now the meat of the season um I don't really look at anything specifically. I sort of just update my model in the morning. I watch games at night and I sort of see how things change, whether a team is rapidly increasing and whether there's a reason for that. And I sort of dig in after, but I sort of just let everything 
come to the forefront, then dig after that. And personally, is there anything that you, like, maybe I should ask about the Leafs now. Uh, is there anything in terms of that team specifically, because there's so much scrutiny on them and there's so much going on with them all the time, and I think a lot of what's going on with them is a little unfair, but as somebody who follows the Leafs more than I do and certainly watches them not through Twitter – uh, what is it about this team right now that has caused so much consternation? Is it, is it something that you think is fixable? Because I still think the Leafs are going to end up being fine. But what is it about this Leafs team that's caused so much of the talk that we've seen? I think some of the legitimate concerns are still around defense because there's a lot of new defenders in this year and they're still getting acclimated to the system and the system – has changed as well where there is more emphasis on breaking out together rather than just firing stretch passes up the ice and everyone's still getting used to all these changes there's new players and I do notice that on offense they're not they don't they're not as able to get into the high danger areas as they were in previous years and I think it'll take time for that to happen it might be just an even flow type thing but I, I do think they'll be fine. I think everyone needs to be a bit more patient and sort of see what happens. And the other issue is they haven't been fully healthy, and that'll come soon when Zach Hyman comes back. And I think that's when the team can be judged a bit better. Uh, Panthers draft pick saving the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just love the sound <laughs> of that. Or a pa- former Panthers assistant coach saving the Toronto Maple Leafs, Paul McFarland. Uh I had I had to do that. It was it was an amusing thing to watch Leafs fans try to talk about the Panthers power play when when McFarlane was hired, which was get the puck to Mike Hoffman and have him shoot basically. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what it was. And you look at those the, those Panthers power play numbers. Did you like why does it look like that on the right side? Oh, that's where Mike Hoffman is. Leafs mm-hmm. don't have a Mike Hoffman, but that's why <laughs> you people would people would tweet about that. I'm like it's Mike Hoffman, guys. And that's what the Panthers' power play was. It's not like that this year, but it definitely was last year. And it, and it worked because Mike Hoffman's still really good at what he does. Uh, last question, and thank you, Dom, again. You're great and one of the writers I always look forward to seeing when, when something gets posted. Is there a team the rest of the way that you're intrigued by? Is it somebody that's underperforming? Is it somebody that's overperforming? You've talked about Vancouver. You've talked about, again, the Islanders and the Sabres. But is there any team that you're saying – this is an interesting story to follow the rest of the way. Is it, uh, is it a team that's going badly? Is it a team that's going well? Or is it a team that you think is underperforming and could start to shoot up at some point? I think one of the more interesting teams in the league right now is probably the Sharks because they seem to oscillate between looking absolutely cooked on some nights and on other nights looking like the dominant team many expected from the core and just for them to find some consistency in their identity and maybe get back into the playoff race I think will be very interesting. It helps that right now the West playoff race is a little bit I wouldn't say open but I think that there's a chance and and now everybody's going to go oh St. Louis could do it etc etc. Uh, I hope that mm-hmm. that's not basically where we're going to go with analysis, but you kind of know what it is, isn't it? Yeah. I, I know. It's terrible. The Panthers, remember, had a, had a goal score off a referee's crotch against the Blues last year. I remember <laughs> that. It was the most Panthers-allowed goal I've ever seen. And uh, that was the day I, after I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It was off of, uh, it was off of Tim Peel. That's right. <laughs> it was, 
I think. I think it was off of Tim Peel. I don't remember, but I remember that because it was the most Panthers thing ever. And it was the day after they fought each other in practice. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is a Panthers loss. Well, it is It is what it is. Dom, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for making us all smarter with everything you have. Again, follow Dom on The Athletic if you don't already. And we will talk down the line, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.